So we've made it to part four in our series. Before I start, though, what time is it? What what time does it say we get out of church in the bulletin? Okay, all right. I'm going to get you all out of here on time. You, you can hold me to that. <laughs> you know, over the past few weeks, we have been looking at the early part of Jesus's ministry there in Galilee. But today, I want to fast forward just a bit and talk about the final event in Jesus's ministry in Galilee before he headed onto his journey toward Jerusalem. The transfiguration of Christ. In several ways, it's a bit of a transitional event. Jesus had been traveling around and he had been preaching and he had been healing and he had been casting out demons and things seemed to be on this upward trajectory. Things have been going fairly well. And it seemed as if it was going to reach a pinnacle at some point. But on Mount Tabor, with the transfiguration, everything changes. Everything changes. From that point on, it's sort of a downward slope for Jesus as he moves towards Jerusalem and inevitably his crucifixion. We've been looking at the genesis of the good news But in some ways, what we discuss today will be the culmination of the good news. It's a glimpse of the end. It's a glimpse of the eschaton or eschatology, which comes from the Greek, and it it just simply means the end or our discussions as Christians about the end. This is the end of God's divine plan in a glimpse of his kingdom come. So I'm just gonna go ahead and read from Mark's gospel first, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Mark 9, verse two. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them and a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. So one day Jesus wakes up and he feels like taking a hike with his inner circle, which consists of Peter, James, and John. And They go up on this mountain, Mount Tabor, and Jesus begins to pray. But as he is praying, in the midst of the prayer, he is transfigured. He begins to shine in his glorified form, and then these two figures from the Old Testament appear. Moses and Elijah, who represent the law 
and the prophets. These two individuals represent all of what we refer to as the Old Testament. And these two great representatives appear and begin having a conversation with Jesus about what is going to happen soon in Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah, they lived hundreds of years apart, but they both had encounters with God upon Mount Sinai. Moses climbed that mountain and he encountered God to such a degree that his face was shining. He had to cover it up in, in order to deal with the rest of the children of Israel. And then Elijah was also on Mount Sinai when he fled from Queen Jezebel. He was in that cave, and in that cave, he heard the still, small voice of God. Well, now, upon another holy mountain, Moses and Elijah both encounter the divine again. They see God, and they hear God. And Peter, understandably, he's quite overwhelmed by all of this. And he wants to join in the conversation, and so he comes up with this plan. He wants to build three tabernacles, three shrines. So he's like, hey, I'm gonna build a shrine for for Moses, I'm gonna build a shrine for Elijah, and I'm gonna build a shrine for Jesus. But the problem here is that Peter is treating Jesus as equals with Moses and Elijah, but they're only there to point to Jesus. And then the voice of the Father comes down from out of the heavens and tells the disciples to listen to him, listen to Jesus, because Jesus is what God has to say. The disciples, they fall into a dead faint. And I can imagine Jesus coming over as he did so often in his ministry and and touching them and saying, fear not. It's okay, guys, I'm here, I'll protect you. And once they recovered their senses and looked around, no more Moses, no more Elijah, only Jesus. And that's the, the story of the transfiguration. Now, I haven't heard too many sermons about the transfiguration. It's almost entirely absent from modern Western Christian theology, which is surprising because it's not some obscure and strange event. It's one of the most theologically significant events in all of Jesus's ministry. We can derive an enormous amount of theological insight from what we refer to as the transfiguration. For one thing, It is the revelation or unveiling of the full deity of Christ. Now, we shouldn't think that the transfiguration was something that just happened to Jesus. It's not like Jesus just happened to come upon something and then randomly this all occurred. Rather, the transfiguration is an unveiling, a revealing of who Jesus is and who Jesus has always been. If there was anyone changed on Mount Tabor, it wasn't so much Jesus, but it was the eyes of Peter, James, and John, 
as the veil was taken away, and for the first time they are fully seeing who Jesus is. Fully man, yes, but also fully God. And the point of confessing the deity of Christ is so that we can know what God is like. Over and over in Jesus' ministry, he's saying, I've come to show you the Father, I've come to show you the Father, I've come to show you how the Father is like. And it's when we make the glorious discovery at the transfiguration that God is like Jesus. Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets, and their chief purpose was to point everyone to Jesus, who is the Son of God, the true Word of God. He's the Logos incarnate. The transfiguration is a glimpse of the end, a glimpse of the eschaton. It's a look at God's kingdom come. And it's something that we all have to look forward to. It's a look at where we're headed. This event wasn't just a revelation of who Jesus is but also a revelation of the destiny of all creation. But in order to truly understand this, we've got to look at a verse that is strangely left out. People don't talk too much about the transfiguration, but when they do, they tend to leave this verse out. Did you notice when I told the story of the transfiguration that I started at chapter nine, verse two? Where's verse one? Why does it always get skipped? It usually does get left out. But it's in reading verse one that we actually understand what's truly going on here. So Mark nine, verse one, it says, and he, Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. That is the context for this event. This event isn't recounted in John's gospel, but it is recounting in the, in the other three gospels. And the actual event is preceded in all three cases by Jesus telling his disciples that some of them wouldn't see death until they saw the kingdom of God come with power. Then, six days later, as verse two tells us, three disciples, Peter, James, and John, see Jesus transfigured. So what is the transfiguration? It's a glimpse at the end. It's a glimpse of the eschaton. It's a glimpse of the kingdom of God come with power. And what happened to Jesus, what happened to Christ on Mount Tabor is where we're all headed. That's where we're going. The transfiguration is a prime source for informing our eschatology. That is our understanding of how this is all going to wrap up. Within Christianity, we proclaim that history and creation itself has a goal. It has a goal, a purpose. In the Greek, a telos. It's got an end, unlike, say, Hinduism. It's a very rich and ancient religious tradition that sees existence sort of like a circle. You go around, and then you get back to the beginning, and you start back over again. 
You just keep moving around and moving around. But Christians say, no, 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 no. There's actually a purpose of all this. There's an end goal to history because God has a plan. God has a plan in this earth as we know it, this earth as we experience it. It's interim. It's provisional. It's temporary. Furthermore, it's broken. It's damaged. It's fallen. It's a world gone wrong, but this present state that we see isn't how it will always be. And praise God for that. The apostle Peter puts it this way in his talk from Acts 3.21. Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. The Greek word that Peter uses here is apokatastasis, apokatastasis. And it means, as it's translated here, the restoration of all things. All things are currently broken. They're currently messed up. They're currently subject to decay. Everything in this world at this time eventually falls apart. But God has a plan. We Christians are looking forward to it all being put back together, being healed, being restored. We often refer to this as the blessed hope. Humanity, history, and all of creation will be restored back to a state beyond sin, beyond corruption, beyond death. There is locked up within fallen creation. And that includes you, that includes me. A glory waiting to be released, waiting to be unveiled. There's something locked up in each of us that hasn't been released yet. It hasn't been let loose. And the apostle Paul, he talks about it in Romans 8 like this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the children of God. That's us. That's you and me, children of God. Yet we aren't fully revealed yet. But creation eagerly awaits this revealing, this unveiling. He continues, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. This is the eschatological hope that we as Christians have. Just as Jesus was so transfigured in a moment that in one second he looked just like any other Galilean Jew in the first century, and in the next moment he is shining like the sun, so bright the disciples couldn't even look at him. Just as Jesus was transfigured like that, so also all within humanity and nature that have been redeemed will shine with a similar glory. 
Daniel wrote about this in Daniel 12, verse 3. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You're going to shine bright, brothers and sisters. This is what theosis looks like. That is participation in the divine nature. We are being invited to take part in something special, something life-changing. And the apostle Peter put it this way in 2 Peter 1.4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God in Christ joined humanity together and then joined us back to him. That's how we are set free. That's how we are healed. That's how the kingdom of God rules. God in Christ came into the brokenness of humanity and took it all upon himself. Jesus dies, yes, but sin doesn't destroy him, right? He dies, but he rose from the grave, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. He took humanity onto himself in order to heal it. Our destiny is to participate in the divine nature and to be liberated from the corrupt nature that's in the world through sinful desires. Jesus Christ the one who is fully God and fully human, is the restorer of all things. The restorer of all things. To be an in Christ is to become a participant in the divine nature and to become a new creation. A new creation. This is what Paul was talking about when he wrote this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All right, so this morning we've heard plenty from Peter. We've heard plenty from Paul, but we need to look at something that John said. As I mentioned last week, I believe that John is the greatest theologian in all of the New Testament. So let's see what John has to say on these matters. First John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That is our blessed hope. That is what we get a glimpse of with this transfiguration of Christ. Our future is to be transfigured in a similar way. We've not yet seen our best selves, right? But we will. We will soon. One day. And the beautiful thing is that when we are glorified, when we are transfigured, will still be recognized. When we're all transfigured and changed and created new, we're gonna recognize each other. And this being made new 
I know that we as humans, we like to talk about ourselves. <laughs> but do you realize that this being made new isn't just about us as humanity, but it's about all creation? Think of all the grandeurs of nature, mountains, the oceans, beaches, forests, trees, the formations of the clouds in the sky, the flowers in the fields. They're beautiful. They're breathtaking, awe-inspiring. And sometimes because of that, I think that we forget the fact that all this beauty that we are seeing in nature is only nature in its fallen form. Imagine how glorious nature and all of creation will be in the time to come. Think of the most beautiful things that you've seen in this life. It's not even a a, a glimpse. It's not even a taste of what is to come. This is Christian eschatology. These things that we have to look forward to in the end when the kingdom of God is come. This is what Christians believe about the end. All this beauty, all of this hope, all of this comfort. So we can get rid of the the hyper-violent, doom-oriented, gotta have a mega war in the Middle East, gotta build the third temple kind of theology. We can go home and we can look on our shelves, and I know most of you probably don't have these books on your shelves, but if you do, you you can take all the late great planet Earths, you can take all the Blood Moons books, you can take all the Left Behind books, and you can just dump them in the dumpster where they belong. Because it's bad theology. And it's not what the Bible teaches. We await, as Christians, the, in the Greek, parousia, the appearing of our Lord and the transfiguration of all things. But we aren't just lazily waiting around sitting on our hands, right? <laughs> we need to be out in the world making a positive difference offering people hope, comfort, and love. We've all got good news to share with humanity. And as we await these things, as we await our transfiguration, we would do well to pray. Because when we look at the story of what Jesus was doing when he was transfigured, he was praying. He was praying. And that's how we know that the primary purpose of prayer isn't to get God to do what we want God to do, but so that we can draw near him, so that we can heed his voice, and so that we can be transfigured in the right way. Dear friends, we are right now merely shadows of who we're meant to be. But a day is coming when we will shine like the stars. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. A day is coming when the kingdom of God will be fully revealed. And so, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, let's work together and individually to advance the kingdom of God. Share the good news of Jesus the truth that he loves us, that he is our savior from the captivity within the empire of Satan, that he is our healer from this sickness, this disease that we've all been infected with called sin, and that he is our preview 
of the glorification, the glories to come in ourselves and humanity, yes, but in all of creation. There are people in your community, in your workplace, in your social circles. There are people in your neighborhood, maybe even in your very household, who need to hear the good news as it is in Jesus. They need to hear messages of hope, advance the kingdom of God, because that's what Jesus has tasked each one of us with doing. If it is your desire to fully commit to this task, then I just ask you to stand. I just ask you to stand where you are. Jose, you can just raise your hand. I see it, brother. There's a lot of people standing because a lot of people have good news. Let's not hoard it to ourselves. Let's go out and share it with the world. And now I'm, I'm going to invite Larie Riedenbaugh to come forward, to stand at the foot of the steps as our elder in charge. After the benediction, those of you who wish can be dismissed. But if there's anybody here who has a special burden, a special request, please come forward. Talk to myself. Talk to Larie. We would love to listen. We would love to lift your petitions up to God. Or maybe... There is someone here who hasn't yet given their heart to Jesus. And maybe because of the message you've heard today, this good news, or or maybe one of the messages you've heard throughout this series, you say, I want to accept Jesus into my heart. I want to accept that good news. I want to enter into the kingdom of God, and I want to do it by getting baptized. If that is you, please don't leave this place without once again coming to talk to myself or coming to talk to Lurie. Let us pray. Most merciful God, We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by both what we have done and what we have left undone. We haven't loved you with our whole heart. We haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves, and for that we are truly sorry, and we humbly repent our sins. We want to change, and we want to be changed by your Spirit. We are so thankful for Jesus that we may be forgiven and may delight in your will and walk in your ways. May our lives bring glory and honor to your name. Thank you for the good news. Thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for coming to set us free. Thank you for the promise of our glorification to come. Help us continually represent your kingdom well. And we ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. We all said amen and amen.